for the significance of his life, the significance of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Thank you that our Lord Christ is alive today. And we know he's alive today because he lives in our own hearts, those of us who know him. And we praise you. Lord, thank you for the music, for the worship, for the praise band, for for the worship that we enjoy right now together. As we open your word, Father, would you speak to our hearts? And would you give us a sense of hope that's based on our our maturing faith in Christ and, and the difference it makes every day in our lives? May we be growing people for you. And Father, this morning, I I thank you for the witness of this church down through the years. There's so many here who have come to know you in this place. Countless vacation Bible schools and revivals and uh, trips and all those kinds of things which have aided in the proclamation of the gospel. And Father, now we have a pastor search committee And diligently they're looking for the one you have to come and have the privilege and responsibility of leading in this place. God, I lift that search committee to you. I I ask for your hand upon them, your blessing. I pray that you speak to them collectively and individually. And as soon as it fits your timetable, your sense of timing, Would you lead them to that person, and this congregation will rejoice in the coming of a shepherd. Lord, I I remember that you spoke to the prophet and said, In that day, I, I will give you shepherds after my own heart. Would you send that one who is after your heart, who will love this congregation and love the lost in this community and around the world and continue to do great work in this place. So we give you ourselves with that wonderful, wonderful sense of expectancy. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. You may be seated. If... uh, You're headed for Children's Church. It's time to go, and we'll let our children make their way there. Several of you have asked how how that cataract surgery went this week. When I finally got to have it on Tuesday, that's another long story. It went wonderfully well. I am cataractless this morning. And uh, hopefully even seeing better than, than before. Thank you for that. All kind of things are going on. And, uh, and I want to remind you to pray daily for your search team, search committee, as they serve you and serve our Lord in this way. And keep on lifting them up. Open your Bibles to the book of First Peter. In chapter 3, we begin reading this morning in verse 8 of chapter 3, and we'll read down through the end of verse 12. And uh, 
It's better if you read in your own copy of the Word of God, but if you don't have your copy with you, there is a copy in front of you in the pew, and uh, if you there's not, you can look on the screen. We want you to see and experience together the Word of God. To sum up, all of you, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. May God bless the reading of his word. May he help us hear it and live by it as we live for him. There is a phrase I heard on a constant basis going up, my brother and I both. Our father was a school teacher, fifth grade, and by the time he got home in the evening, he had pretty much enjoyed all the fifth graders he wanted for one day. And he would look at us boys and say, would you boys grow up? And sometimes, to be sure, we, we would look at him, and he seemed so terribly old to us. I think he was about 40 at the time. And we weren't sure if that was growing up. That's what we wanted to be. Don't you, don't you love that commercial? I think it's Progressive Insurance that says, we can't keep you from becoming your parents. Uh, by the way, one of the greatest joys of life is watching your children deal with their children. And you realize that, like it or not, they've turned out like you. <laughs> Would you boys grow up? And usually what he meant was that we weren't quite as mature as we ought to be. And he wanted us to get on with it. Have you noticed that when things are growing or when you are growing, it is easier to be a person of hope? As the gardener or the farmer, when the crops are good, when they're growing, when a person is growing, 
it's easier to find and experience and live out hope. But it's tough to grow up. It's not easy to be mature. Now, don't worry, we're not going to have true confession, but have you ever done anything that you would be a bit embarrassed if we all knew? I, I know a man. I, I'm not going to tell you who he is, but he has a lovely wife named Pat. And he's not always acted maturely. Have you ever known what it's like to try to clean iced tea off of a ceiling that you splashed there because you were angry? Have you ever had the experience of of looking for car keys that you had thrown because you were upset? Have you ever gone to kick a screen door and missed that bottom rung and kicked your foot through the copper wire and had to go to the hardware store and buy some new copper wire and bring it home and put it on the door? You know, the old wire is dark and the new wire stays light forever. Well, I've done those things. Some of them I did as an adult. Not all, thankfully. It's not all that mature. I I remind you that the preacher in Hebrews had some very serious warnings to us about growing up. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 12 of Hebrews For by this time you ought to be teachers, yet you have need again for someone to teach you the elemental principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. For solid food is for the mature who because of practice have kept their senses trained to discern good and evil, therefore leaving the elementary things about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God of instruction about washings and laying on of the hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we shall do if God permits. The Lord is concerned that you and I grow up, that that we mature. And you know, I remember having read somewhere that much of the baby food sold in this country is not for babies at all, but is for adults who have digestive problems of some kind, and they need to be on baby food. Another thing I remember my dad 
used to say was uh, once an adult, but twice a child. (laughs) Oh, I wish it could only be twice. It's so easy. It's so easy to drift back. It's so easy to miss the point and uh, get away from it. I suspect many of you are doing or can remember what we did with our children. We, we kept one of those growth charts. And on their birthday or maybe Christmas special occasion, we'd back them up to the growth chart and we'd mark it and say, see how much you've grown. They're fun. What if there were a growth chart that really mattered, that was describing our spiritual growth, our growth to be like our Lord wants us to be. Are, are there some marks that, that we might be able to discern the progress that we're making in the maturity that, that, that God wants us to have if we're to be people of hope. These marks, when you think about it, they they may not be the outward discernible kind of things. You know, being a part of Sunday Bible study is very important, but but maybe a perfect attendance in that is, is not the same as some other marks. Following God in obedience to to be a tither is is an important step in the Christian life, but but perhaps that's one of those things that's that's easier than than the spiritual side of things. Or maybe the real marks that we ought to look at are attitudes, and attitudes really are what are discussed in in 2 Peter here in the text that I I read to you a few moments ago. There are a number of them here. We'll not take a long time to spend on each one, but I I, I do want you to see them. First of all, when we're maturing, there is a harmony or unity be harmonious or like-minded. It's a word that we've seen over and over again. Remember, it's not about uniformity. When, when the high school band marches at halftime, they're, they're in uniforms and they all look alike. But there's a difference between uniformity and unity. By the way, I was in high school band. I marched in high school band in the seventh grade. My mother used to tell me if we got home from the football game, I could tell which one was you. You were the only one in step. Think about it. But if we begin to to get this trade of harmony it realizes that we're not always going to agree. 
Remember, if two of you always agree, one of you is not necessary. It doesn't mean that we will never have a difference of opinion. It does mean that we'll have something of, a, of a, an ability to discern. But it does mean that in it, we will be experiencing a unity of the Spirit of God. It means that we will have as a core value a a desire to get along, to live in harmony in the body of Christ and in the world to which God has assigned us in order that it might really be a harmonious world. Now, if you want to put yourself up to the growth chart, you, you can ask, well, really now, Am I a more harmonious person this year than I was this time last year? How am I doing? Well, this the second word is the word sympathetic. It's a word that means to feel with. There's a a wonderful example of what this means. Again, in the book of Hebrews, the writer tells us that Christ sympathizes with us in our weakness. It means that, that he feels with us and offers to help. In this chapter, if we look at the beginning, Peter tells us that we are to feel with our mates in marriage, as we talked about last week. Paul's definition in Romans 12 may be the best that we've ever had when he asks us to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And you probably have discovered it's really easier sometimes to weep with those that weep than it is to rejoice with those that rejoice. But in the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, as we get closer and closer to our Lord and what he wants us to be, as we experience the hope that he wants us to have, we we are marked by a sense of feeling with and sympathizing with one another. We do a pretty good job of this at the funerals, and with the meals. Sometimes we do a pretty good job of this at the wedding when we wish people well in a marriage. We normally do a real good job of this when somebody comes and unites with the church and we welcome them and clap and are very happy that they've come. But we want to remember that it's one of those traits that's good for all time and eternity for every day. How are you doing? And is it better this year than last year? Third, there's brotherly love. That word again, the word from which we get the word Philadelphia, it means lover of the brother. And it's a reminder that where the God kind of love is present, there will be a love for one another found and expressed in the body of Christ. Jay Kessler, 
who was president of Youth for Christ International for years and later was president of Taylor University, used to say that, that he hoped to live so well and love so well that when he died, he would like to believe that he'd have at least eight friends who would come to his funeral and never look at their watch. Now, I gave up on that in sermons a long time ago. But that's what he wanted. Have you seen the play or read the play, A Raisin in the Sun? It's about a black family who grew up on the south side of Chicago. The dad had died and left the family with only a small life insurance policy which seemed to them like a significant sum of money. Mom, trying to meet the needs of the family, decided that what they ought to do is take that life insurance policy and move to a new neighborhood and get a new start. But the older boy in the family had bigger dreams. He dreamed of going into business, making his mark in the business world, And then the family could live any place they wanted to. And so he talked mom into giving him the life insurance proceeds. And he started out in business. But it wasn't very long before his business partner absconded with the money left. And the family had nothing. And in the play... The boy's sister is furious and launches a verbal attack on him. After calling him every kind of an ingrate, the mother interrupts and says, I thought I taught you to love him, child. Love him? There ain't nothing left to love, said his sister. And mother responds, There's always something left to love. If you ain't learned to love, you ain't learned nothing. Child, what what do you think when do you think it's time to to love somebody most? When he's done good and makes things easy for everybody? Well, you ain't through learning because that ain't the time at all. It's when he's at his lowest and can't believe in himself. Because the world unwhipped him so, that's the time to love him. And somewhere in that is a call of God to us. We're called to love not only at the high moments in life, but at the low moments. Not only when someone is on top of the world, but when someone is struggling And friend, let me tell you something that has to do with ourselves as well. There is such a thing as a healthy self-love that's based on the grace of God in Christ rather than on some kind of sense of achievement. How you doing? There is a word kind-hearted. And there's a story I love, and but it's, it's a long story. Let me see if I can get out just the gist of it. 
It comes from a book that's on the presidents, seven or eight of them, and a chapter on each of them and their character. And in the chapter on Ronald Reagan, it tells about an event. There was a young lady, old lady, out in San Francisco named Frances Green. She was 83. For eight years in a row, she had sent the Republican National Convention one dollar. It was a lot of money to her. She lived on Social Security. And so one day, Francis got one of those brightly colored, well-done fundraising letters from the Republican National Convention inviting her to come to the White House and meet President Reagan. Now, she failed to see that there was an RSVP and a place to enclose a very generous donation before she got the appointment to see the president. She scraped together everything she had and bought a ticket. She rode a train four days and four nights to Washington, D.C., She didn't have enough money for a sleeping car, so she set up those four days. When she got to Washington, she got a ride down, and she saw the guard out there. Here came this white-headed woman, white powder all over her face, a dress that used to be white but had faded with time, a hat, and announced she had come to see the president. She uh, was disheartened that her name was not on the list and was turned away. And, And there was a Ford Motor Company executive who was behind her in the line who heard the story. He pulled her to the side and heard the whole story and asked her to meet him back the next morning at 9 o'clock. And he managed to set up uh, a tour of the White House for Francis and even perhaps a meeting with Ronald Reagan. Well, the next day was anything but calm and easy at the White House. The executive gave her the tour through the White House and then he brought her by the Oval Office, office hoping that, that she might just wave at the president and he might wave back at her. Ed Meese had just resigned. There was a military uprising abroad. All kind of high-level people were coming and going, and he thought maybe just a wave. Ronald Reagan looked up as Francis came by and said, Hi, Francis, come on in. Those darn computers messed up again or I'd have been out there to pick you up myself. And he invited her to be seated. They talked about her hometown and things important to her. Now, the President of the United States gave Francis Green a lot of time that day, more time than he had to give, really. There are some people who would say maybe it was wasted time. But here's the deal. 
He knew that Frances Green had not one thing she could do for him. But he knew he had something he could do for her. And he did it. Now, having watched all the, or too many at least, of the ads on TV right now and all the viciousness, I've wished for Ronald Reagan. He was known to be inherently kind-hearted. And Peter says the children of God ought to be marked by an inherited, an inherent kind-heartedness. There, there's the word humility. And sometime today you ought to take the time to go back and read Philippians chapter 2 about humility. Humility is not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But real humility is not only that, it is not to think of yourself more lowly than you ought to think either. You and I are sinners. We've been saved by the grace of God. And we have important work to do because we're God's children. God has looked at us and called us sons and daughters. We've been adopted into his family and we are somebody because of that. Don't walk puffed up, but walk in unity with God. Walk in hand with your Father because He invites you. He chooses you. He wants you to be His. There is the word forgiveness. You find it in verse 9, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for this purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. Peter doesn't want us to go back or or to get even. He wants us to live in the arena of, of forgiving one another. I picked up something the other day and read it. A man was at a concert sitting in a row by by another man whom he did not know. And a woman began to sing and and he thought she was awful. He reached over to his neighbor and said, who is that awful soloist? And the man said, well, she's my wife. And the man said, oh, well, I I didn't mean the singer. I, I mean, what she's singing? Who wrote that music? And the man said, I did. (laughs) Some days you can't win. What are you going to do with that? Well, a maturing believer says, not wrong from wrong. Not insult for insult. But but forgiveness. Forgiveness. How are you doing with that? Are you more forgiving this year than last? Or are you still carrying that thing that may have happened years ago? It, it may have been a terrible insult. It, it may have kept you awake for nights. But, but are you going to live there with that? Or is it time? Is it time to grow? There is tongue control. Isn't that amazing how often that shows up in Scripture? It's a sign of maturity. 
In fact, I believe it was James who said that if a man is in control of his tongue, he's mature in all of his ways. If you can control your tongue, you give evidence of walking with God. You remember what the old wag said? A rumor is something that goes in one ear and out many mouths. Do you remember? Have you heard about the tombstone in England? You guys are better at telling the truth than we are. It says beneath this sod of lump, beneath this sod, this lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the twenty fourth of May began to hold her tongue. How you doing with that? How's it going with that? Uh, the psalmist prayed. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Because words are so hard to grab back after they're spoken. And the sign of maturity is they get small, swallowed before they're spoken. Finally, there's, there is a focused seeking. Peter puts it like this. And let him turn away from evil and be good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There's a focus that somehow we have to keep for. We're going to see that again in First Peter. But you know, Daddy was right. Would you boys grow up? And God is right when he looks at us and said, my sons and my daughters, would you? Would you? Would you grow up? Well, Like most things we've seen here, it's not an end. It's a journey. On to maturity. But in the striving, in the striving by the grace of God, he does something very good and something meaningful for us. And so, together... Let's make it our aim, our journey on to maturity. Would you pray with me? And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe your prayer today is God, 
Help me hear the voice of you, my Father. Help there be a longing in my heart to mature, to grow up. And God, as best I can, I will walk with you in that journey. I can't do it unless you do it through me in the power of your spirit. But Lord, I yield to you. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And as we do, and the Spirit of God permeates His place, it might be that God says to you, today's the day I want you to pray and receive Christ in your life. It might be that today's the day that God says, I I, I need you to make a commitment to this congregation and membership. If that's you, don't wait, because there are some things, if God leads you here, that you need to do here. And this church will not be complete without you, and you will not be complete without her. So if that's you, come. The altar's open, and if you need to come and pray, you're welcome to come and pray. We just continue to worship. So Father... We give you this time with that sense of expectancy and ask for your will. No more than that, but oh God, no less than that either. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Would you stand with me? Would you sing your prayer to God as God speaks to you? There's a public decision you need to make. Claim the victory and come today. Let us help you with it. Let's sing together, and I'll meet you here in the front. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. is gonna stop this This what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving sleeps, comfort
just a moment. Eumann and uh, Raquel. Rochelle. Rochelle. I knew I'd get that wrong. There you are, are coming to unite with the church today, and uh, you're coming from a Baptist church in South Africa. South Africa? That's in South Texas? Yeah, we sound like South Texas. You say, sound like South Texas? They, they know the Lord and follow him in believer's baptism. They have three children, or are they all in children's church now, or is somebody in here? Uh, they're seven, nine, Nine, five, and one, one and a half, two. Yeah, keep you young. Yeah, all right. Uh, you, you've, he's led music here uh, with the praise team, been in the praise team. You, you know, if this makes you very, very glad, would you just say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Yeah. Uh, welcome you. And and who takes pictures if if uh, Gloria is not here? Is there somebody? Jancy. Jancy, okay. Jancy does everything, doesn't she? All right. Well, we, anyway, when we go here in just a minute, I want y'all to come back there with me, and the folks are going to want to greet you and and say that we're very happy to have you here. Very happy God brought you uh, to this part of His world. And hope you come to love the hill country as much as the rest of us do. And if you're the one keeping it from raining, stop. (laughs) And uh, anyway, welcome, welcome to First Baptist Church. And those children, hopefully, uh, will come to the point while they're here, out there in the future, making their own commitment to God. And we look forward to that happening as well. So let's stand together, friends, and uh, let's sing together.